Hello and how are you toy sports lovers out there? My name is Robbie Gillette and welcome to conversation number 18 of the Keeping It Real with Robbie podcast where we chat all things to the mental side of sports, to stories, laughs and banter, whether into the old pigskin or the old leather ball, we've got you. Today I'm joined by former Bafana Bafana centre-back Matthew Booth as we reflect and take a trip down memory lane as we look at his career with the national side, World Cup 2010 as well as life in Russia. Before we get into it, if I could ask you guys a massive favour and hit that subscribe button, it helps me massively. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I hope you guys enjoy and let me know what you guys think. How's it going? How's your day? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Uh, spend a bit of uh, spend a bit of the day painting. Uh, it's been my lockdown chore, which I haven't done been done with yet. <laughs> good, good. I was actually your side today, uh, in well, your side where you grew up in at Dalebrook at the little tidal pool there. Uh, went for a, oh, yeah. Yeah, a swim and a breakfast as one does in Cape Town. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's been a good day. Uh, before we get into it, I think let's just address the two things that the guys at home are thinking. I got a new prop because when I was 12 years old, I, uh, I won that at Thor Park for my immense football skills. So I thought my first footballer, I have to put it up uh, and it makes the room look less sad as well. And, and second of all, you know, uh, I know what you're thinking, Robbie, that take this off. It's not a Bafana shirt. And you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I would never do that to you. Um, but yeah, it, to make it better, I think, or consolation, I think it was their 2010 World Cup shirt. Uh, but that also could be a lie. Um, uh, I'm digging myself a hole. Let, let's get into it. How, yeah, I know you're a busy man. So thanks so much for joining me. Um, and yeah, how, how has your lockdown been, I guess? And, and what is the life of a pro or retired pro footballer like now? Yeah, so it's it's well, it took took some adjusting, uh, Robbie. Um, I've got two young boys um, who love their sport, so uh, just dealing with with the two of them and managing uh, what they do uh, inside and outside the house was difficult enough. You know, um, for me, since retirement, I've gotten into a gym regimen. You know, to try and uh, keep the beer belly away and um, keep the keep uh, the rigging you know, check. Huh? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, you got you. Otherwise, the missus starts looking at you uh, but differently. <laughs> like. um, but so that was also difficult for me. Then finding a space at home and trying to do some exercise, and I kind of was enthusiastic about it for a week or two, and then I, I just gave up. You know, I stopped doing anything. Um, I did. I did a lot more chores around the house, yeah. um, and that that kept me busy and out of trouble. You know? mm. So, so going to like your early days, let's strip it right back uh, to Fishhook, born in Fishhook, raised there. You know, what, what was the childhood like? It's a, must, a lot of surfing maybe, some fishing, swimming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, a lot of my, my, my mates at the time uh, were surfers and skateboarders and what have you. But uh, for me, I just wanted a ball, you know, uh, yeah. just give me a ball and I was happy. But trying to keep my balance and it wasn't my thing. Um, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy the beach. I enjoy that, that, that environment on the peninsula. Um, we go down every year. I take my boys down there and they absolutely love it. You know, um, nothing really beat the, the outdoors and the variety that South Africa and particularly Cape Town, the sporting uh, opportunities that, that you get given, um, nothing compares really. Uh, so we're blessed down that way. Um, and yeah, I, I played a lot of sport at school. Eh? Um, I wasn't uh, particularly an a academic of note. Um, yeah. 
I just wanted to get outside, play soccer, cricket, rugby, uh, you name it. I, at school, I played table tennis, tennis, you know. Um, and again, blessed that we grew up in, in that kind of environment. We were, were able to, I was able to go to a government school that offered that that facility, you know, um, and the weather that goes with it that allows you to play so so, so many different yeah. types of sports. Yeah. So was, was football always the passion? Was it always the passion? I know you, you said you... you you picked up anything with the ball, uh, but was foot was football always one up on them? Yeah, so my my dad and his three brothers um, had quite a a rough sort of tough reputation on the football f- uh, fields. Um, so I always used to listen to these stories that they used to tell us uh, yeah. around the family. Uh, so the, the booths are like the the Itzabeths of football. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, when I when I walk with my my dad or my uncles, um, you know, anywhere in Cape Town, they'll they'll often get recognised and uh, they'll <laughs> you know, uh, because of what went down. Um, and so I kind of stay clear of what, uh, try to change that reputation as much as possible. But, <laughs> um, but no, so big footballing family. Um, but I actually miss my, my cricket and I miss my rugby. I played first team uh, cricket and, and rugby at school. Um, when I left school, I played a bit of uh, first team uh, club cricket. Um, and when I started to play professional football, um, I didn't really get a chance to play again. So, yeah, I, I miss it and I, I kind of make up for it by watching a lot of it. Yeah. So would you have opened the bowling or opened the batting? Where, where would Matthew Booth have fitted in that 11? So in... Um, at Fishhook, we had this uh, southeaster that came across the, the cricket pitch. So I managed <laughs> no. to get a lot of steam out of my, my medium <laughs> pitch. Um, and I opened the bat. Um, and I probably wouldn't have made it as a cricketer, but I always felt that down in the Cape, I don't know what it's like around the rest of the country, but you really had to go to a private school if you wanted to progress. You know, you would get better coaching, get better opportunities. Hopefully that's changed. Um, that aspect has changed. But even at club level, you know, um, I used to, I kept on Paul Harris um, at school. Oh, wow. and yes. I, I, watched, I watched his progress uh, as a cricketer at club level. And he was actually told, I believe, to that he would have to move clubs uh, to stand a bit of opportunity of, of playing for Western Province. And lo and behold, he did that in the very same season, I believe, he, he made it to the Western Province B team now. That's just one example of kind of what, what put me off just slightly, you know. Um, but like I said, I probably wouldn't have been good enough. Him. Yeah, yeah. So, so when, when we, I suppose, first noticed, like when you, we, by selectors, and then when were you like, okay, well, actually, I can maybe make a career out of this? Yeah, so in Cape Town, there was this very prestigious youth tournament it's called the Bay Hill um, Tournament. And um, at under... Uh, 19 uh, level um, all of the top uh, junior teams used to get invited to this tournament and Fishhook uh, AFC in that particular year had a very good team and we managed to get cracker an invite Um, and that's where that's where I got spotted by Cape Town Spurs who was being coached by Mr. Avery at the time um, in uh, 93 or 94 um, and then I moved on to Cape Town Spurs and played for their juniors and then progressed to the first team. So it was basically a, a, a very well-organized, well-run, um, prestigious tournament where 
I got my chance. Yeah. So you had a twenty, almost twenty-year professional career. Uh, so you would have played with some serious characters. So I thought, let's make it a bulky game of who is and why, so we can get some some interesting insights here. So let's go. Who is the kit man's nightmare? Um. Well, I think it's it's generally goalkeepers who come back from uh, uh, their, their off season because goalkeepers <laughs> generally are very very lazy, and especially when they go on their off season for a month, they've picked up maybe like eight to ten kilos, you know. So yeah, you go to Ibiza for a month, and all of a sudden you like ten kilos light or heavier. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But you know, I'm only joking. I always give the goalkeepers a hard time because uh, they call themselves footballers, but they're actually not. They can use their hands. And, <laughs> so, any goalkeeper in particular? Uh, uh, not necessarily with a weight problem, but like the crazies, the nutters who I've... In fact, I, I've, I don't think I've met a normal goalkeeper. Um, they're, they're, all kind of, they're all kind of special. But a character in the changing room was definitely a guy called Munib Josephs. Yes. Uh, he's just recently retired. Uh, he, he grew up um, in Mitchell's Plain in Cape Town, so I've I've come along with him, and I've watched his his progress, um, you know, intensely, and and always like to see uh, young footballers progress and fulfil their their potential. But he was uh, off the field; he was the life of the change room. Yeah. <laughs> so, who who is the comedian? Um, also, another goalkeeper, a guy called Sean Roberts. Um, he had. He had this kind of vulgar um, sense of humour, but um, <laughs> you know, when 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 the going when the going got tough, uh, you needed guys to to lighten the mood, and he was he was definitely one of them. He, I think, grew up on the West Rand here in Johannesburg, um, but spent most of his time down in Cape Town. Any any almost bizarre stories that you can recall of him? Just when the going got tough, pulling out a random like phrase or something. So the, the story that he likes to tell is um, when he was uh, warming up uh, for Ajax Cape Town against Kaiser Chiefs and the stadium was, was full, you know. Yeah. And um, he used to love these um, tights. He didn't wear shorts. He wore uh, tights, leggings. Yeah. Uh, he, thought, he, thought, he, thought he, he thought he had a good pair of legs, but I'm not so sure about it. <laughs> but when he was warming up, kicking with the, the, the other goalkeeper, he could feel a fart coming along and he, and, he, and he tried to let one go. He tried to let one go, but in actual fact, it turned out to be more than just a fart. A little, <laughs> a little, a little turtle head just turtle, came out. Turtle you know? neck. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and, he, and his face changed completely and his opposite goalkeeper said to him, hey, Sean, like, what, what's, what's the matter, mate? And he said, no, I've got to, I've got to go to the toilet. And, you know, <laughs> goalkeepers, they have their, their gloves wrapped and um, he couldn't leave, so he had to warm up with his tights on, with this little uh, turtleneck. Uh, that's nightmare stuff. It's a stuff yeah, of nightmare. With a packed <laughs> stadium. So, yeah. Just one of many stories that he's, he's told. My word. And then who, who is always late? Um, you know, I, there's so many of them. Um, footballers are known for, for keeping time. And and it, it's something that we've definitely got to change. Um, the, um, or just corporates in general um, have will only start taking us seriously once we take ourselves seriously. Yeah, and yeah. that's certainly what we've got to we've got to work on as a, an, a as an industry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then who has the voice? 
The voice, um, uh, a unique um, Sean Daesh voice or a singing voice? Um, let's go both. Why not? Let's go both. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's a tough one. Um, the guys who had good voices, uh, probably Tulani Flatswile, the current uh, Bafana captain, uh, one of the younger players who I played with at Ajax Cape Town. And yeah, he could, he could always get the... The team singing, you know, traditionally football footballers uh, here in South Africa, um, we warm up in the changing room, um, and, okay. and generally when we when we come out of the changing room, we're already sweating, you know, <laughs> uh, because of the dancing and the singing that takes place in the changing room. So, yeah, yeah I'll say Tulani, yeah, he's got a good voice. Man, that's cool. Who who's the best you've ever played against? Um, so in 1997, we uh, qualified. We were the first national team uh, under 20s to qualify for an intercontinental tournament. So we went to the World Youth Champs in Malaysia in 1997, and in our group was South Korea, Brazil, and France. Wow! And that French that French team, um, the starting 11, they, they had two strikers. Uh, one was Thierry Thierry Henry, wow. another one was David Trezeguet. Um, and they had they had Nicholas and Nelka on the bench, so, so you, had, you had your hands full. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was definitely that game. I didn't have my best game, and um, yeah, they 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 showed it, they showed us flames. Um, but what what an experience! Yeah, yeah geez, something you can and still tell your kids. I've played against <laughs> legends of the game. That's mad. Um, who who's the toughest you've ever played against? Like seriously, just dog. Yeah, so <clears throat> you know, um, we had a we had a, a centre back uh, at Joma Cosmos, and Joma Cosmos are renowned for producing these tough footballers. And um, it was a it was a guy called Andrew Rabutla, and his nickname was the Jaws of Life. <laughs> so um, you can <laughs> yeah. you can understand. Yeah, he he was a tough tackler, uh, didn't pull out. Um, so he he definitely sticks out. Yeah. Okay. So let I think yeah let's move on to Bafana because it's obviously it's a must have been an unbelievable honor to to play for your country. Um, but where so where was the national side based? Like where was camp for you guys? I know I think the protests are up in Pretoria or something. You know, where was your camp? Yeah, so so most of like the rugby guys and the cricket guys, um, you know, generally they have a they have a base or a high performance center that they stay at. Um, we as as footballers. Um, kind of were nomads. Um, if we were playing a, a game in Johannesburg, we would normally be based at uh, the Sunnyside um, uh, Park um, Hotel yeah. or at Mill Park, somewhere central. Um, you know, and it just depended on which city we were based uh, as well. Mm. But um, at junior level, under 20s and under 23s, our coach was rather superstitious and <laughs> we spent almost all of our time at Mill Park Hotel um, yeah. and you know you used to arrive at the hotel and the receptionist used to know you by your first name <laughs> you know the guy at the restaurant knew exactly what your order was going to be <laughs> so so you make your debut in 1999 against Botswana what how do you reflect on your debut and I mean how, like obviously just how special was that yeah, the massive uh, footballing nation of Botswana. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's. I mean, no matter who you play, um, it, it's always special. Mm. Um, uh, our coach was Trot Malotto at the time. Uh, I was still at Cape Town Spurs. So for a 
for a young kid to to get a call up was one thing, but to get it from while you still are playing at Cape Town Spurs, which was one of the more unfashionable teams, you know, at the time was quite something. So I was rather proud of that. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we beat Botswana as well was was good. You know, something that our national team struggles to do these days. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's. You know, I think the, the smaller nations have, have definitely caught up with us while we've remained rather stagnant, you know. So that is a concern. But but um, it's again that I'll always remember. It was in Gaborone, uh in the Kosafa Cup. Um, and, yeah, I played with uh, a couple of debutants. One, Aaron McQuena, who went on to, yeah. uh, I think, uh, make 109 caps and become captain of, the, of, of, of Bafana. So, yeah, great, great times. Why? Why do you think you know, uh, without putting yourself in hot water, that uh, Bafana has uh, stayed so stagnant? You know, like as you say, the, the other smaller nations have progressed, and we've kind of still struggled to to qualify for the World Cup and you know beat the, I suppose, minor nations. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's I've been in hot water a number of times, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I like to, you know, when. It, Whenever, whenever I, I, I criticize, uh, I try to do it constructively. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when I'm on, on the telly as well, doing my punditry or whatever, I always try to offer a solution, you know. Um, and I, I, I think football fans uh, must stop screaming at Bafana Bafana. I think my mantra now is uh, instead of doing that, rather go down to your local LFAs, your local football clubs, your amateur mm. clubs, and volunteer there. And and have a look at what what facilities are available, um, and and have a look at how little, how few chances young boys and young girls have to progress in the game. And once you've realised that, once you've done that, you will then realise what our real issue is with our national team. Yeah. Um, and that could be said for a number of our, our popular sports as well. You know, um, we tend to throw a lot of money at our national teams, but actually. Because our, our national sport is run by politicians, the politicians believe, don't believe in long-term policies uh, because they were afraid that they're not going to be there yeah. uh, okay. to reap the benefits. So they institute very short-term uh, policies um, which uh, really don't work. Um, sport is like, development in sport is like education. You, know, you cannot miss any single step um, so a 10 to 15 year plan is of sustainable programs uh, with uh, proper facilities countrywide, not only in Cape Town and Johannesburg and Durban and our metros, all around the country. If they had done that um, in, the, in the late 90s, you know, spend money properly, sustainably in the late 90s when our country still had, uh, was still flush with cash, you know, uh, we wouldn't be talking like this now. Mm. Yeah, so you, you would say grassroots over over national sides. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, our national football team, our women's football team, Banyana have have shown up the men. You know, um, they have even fewer opportunities. You know, they yeah. they really they they're in dire straits, and yet they've outperformed the the senior team. You know, on very little resources. Um, so you can imagine what what might become if we spent. Uh, if we gave a little girl the same opportunities as a little boy, um, what what they would be able to achieve. Um, so there's a lot of little elements that we've got to get right. Um, but ultimately, 
we shouldn't be focusing on our on our national teams. It goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure you've got also got a you've got a trust or what's a it's not a trust. What's it? A um, yeah, no, it's a trust. A trust, yeah. Trust. So it's, what? A, it's an NPO. Uh, it's an NPO, non-profit organization. Yeah. Uh, it's called the Booth Education and Sports Trust. Uh, which myself and my wife set up in uh, 2009. Yeah. Okay. So what do you guys, what do you guys get up to? How active is it? Yeah, well, unfortunately it hasn't been active for the past yeah. Um, yeah. six or seven months, but since 2009, uh, there, there's two elements to it. One is um, uh, conducting uh, football clinics. Okay. Um, so what I do is I'll go to a private school or a, community that can afford it and they will pay us to run a, a three-hour football session okay. with um, ex, ex-professional footballers um, try and give them a, a, a lunch in, you know in between and give them a real good day out you know uh, with some um, professional elements to yeah. to their session and that will then allow us to go and do two or three um, coaching clinics in areas which Perhaps yeah. cannot afford uh, yeah. afford it, and then the other element to the trust is uh, encouraging kids to to read. Um, we have book clubs, and um, we try to um, get uh, book donations and hand them out to to libraries and and youth centres, um, mostly around Gauteng. But we've done quite a bit of work in uh, in Pangani and in Cape Town as well. Okay. Um, but yeah. Cool. So guys, if you're watching this, they can help out in any way, hit them up. I'm sure there's a website and a, and a contact details. Um, so yeah, but so debut in 1999, in 2002 World Cup, you miss out due to knee injury. Due to the nature of, you know, um, World Cup qualifiers, was it ever thought that, you know, I may not get another crack at a World Cup? Yeah, uh, you know, at the time, um, 2002, I still felt I was fairly young uh, as a central defender. Um, But that was rather naive thinking, um, you know, particularly considering our our decline that followed um, of our national team. The fact that we never qualified for um, uh, 2006, um, you know, was disappointing. But yeah. For me, it was, it was, at the time, Mark Fish got injured. I wasn't part of the squad. Um, and then I, I replaced Mark. Um, and then we traveled to Hong Kong for a tournament uh, before we traveled on to uh, South Korea and Japan. Um, and that's where I got injured. So uh, it was my first uh, operation that I needed. And it was, it was only, it was a meniscus, which a lot of footballers uh, suffer from. And it only takes about a month to recover. So... I was just so disappointed with the bad timing of it oh. um, to be able to be part of my first World Cup. And um, luckily, uh, we, we won the rights to host in 2010. And mm. just so happened that um, just a year before that, I got called back to the national team. So, I mean, awesome segue. Thank you. So let, let's obviously focus on, on 2010. Uh, you know, as, as a player, how did you experience it? What was it like? How do you reflect now on... You know how the whole country was just so proud of of what we came up with. You know how how do how does a player reflect on it? Yeah, it's it's difficult to you know. I think it was bittersweet for me. Um, I never got to 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 get off the bench. 
Mm. I was freezing my ass off with the rest of South Africa <laughs> watching the game. Um, but 2009 really set me up the Confederations Cup. I played all five games in that. Um, it's always nice to gauge yourself against number one and number two in the world, which was Spain and Brazil at the time. Wow. Um, and then the changing coaches uh, in between, you know, I always say, you know, a week is a long time in football, but uh, a year in between, you know, so much can happen. So yeah. I tried to change Pereira's uh, outlook on me, um, but he, I think he was pretty set in his ways. Um, okay. I felt I felt that I could have probably changed the the game or the situation against Uruguay. Uh, that was my that's my type of game uh, when you when you come up against uh, a set of defenders who are kicking the hell out of our our own players. I think I could have dished out a, um, a few a few of my own, you know, just to equalize things. It's, that, it's, that, um, it's the booth way. It's the booth way. It's, it's in the booth. Yeah, I learned from my, I learned from my, <laughs> my uncles and my dad. Yeah. Uh, but that, that would have been just up my alley, you know, that type yeah. of game. Um, and yeah, it was disappointing I didn't get a game, but it also disappointing that we didn't put our foot on the accelerator against France. Yeah. Um, we, we were tuning up and sitting from the, from the sidelines watching, I felt that uh, they were there for the taking, yeah. uh, to be honest. But we needed to win by, by four goals. Um, but unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Yeah. What, so, I mean, you know, how in that first game, you know, you sit on the bench, first goal, everyone just goes like crazy. How how insane was that, you know, just like to know, like, cool, we, we're on the board here. Uh, I'm involved in this. I mean, I may not be on the pitch, but I'm involved. How, it's just, I think it's everyone's dream. So I mean I've so there's quite a quite a few of my teammates who are quite um, they're quite macho guys you know manly guys who who don't joke much they don't they take themselves really seriously and and to see those guys those types of guys uh, go out to warm up before that Mexico game and actually shed a tear um, was quite made me quite emotional myself, you know, because we had been stuck away leading up to the World Cup. Um, we went to Brazil, to Germany, you know, we were away for, for four or five months and we didn't quite appreciate the whole build-up um, to 2010, what went yeah. to the country. Yeah. Um, and only then did I think we realize uh, the significance. And of course, when Shaba hit that rocket, um, we were up off the bench so quickly. Um, it was just incredible. It was like a combination of all that hard work and all yeah. that emotion. Um, but yeah, pity again that we couldn't uh, hold on for the win. I think that was probably the most important game. Like everybody says, you know, group game, your first game is your most important one. So mm. yeah, um, what, what could have been? Yeah. What, what was the chat before the game uh, in terms of a team talk? If you can, if you can think yeah. back and remember. I, I can't, to be honest. You know, um, I've got, first of all, a very poor memory. But um, when, you know, often guys or <laughs> often players will, will start talking about a game that happened 10, 15 years ago and they'll go into detail about <laughs> how it happened and, and and who was involved. And I would be like, what are you talking about? I can't remember that game. <laughs> you get so caught up in your own world and, and making sure that, you are doing your thing, you know, and okay, doing yeah. it correctly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, it, it's it's difficult to keep up with all the games that I've played as well. But also, yeah, I wouldn't be able to to tell you um, if I can remember. He was he's a, he he was a very calm character. Um, all of the tactical stuff would have been done before. Yeah. Um, so it would have been about um, relaxing, uh, being calm, you know, sticking to what we've been through the week before, um, something of that nature. And then, you know, the, he had two very experienced assistants who would also chip in here and there and, and speak to individually. Okay. How how do you reflect on your time with Bafana? You know, like, how, how did you experience the culture? Um, yeah, just how you experienced your time with the national side. Yeah, I'm exceptionally grateful. I mean, uh, it's been a long journey. I I got caught up for the under-20 team um, in uh, kind of what would be uh, 93, um, 1993, 1992-93. So I've had a long journey with the, with the junior national team and then got my debut in 99. Um, and then in 2002, when I went to, to Russia for six years, kind of any everything stopped it was kind of like out of sight out of mind and that was when i was yeah. playing some of my best football so yeah. that was disappointing and only when when the national team became quite desperate uh, we never qualified for the nation's cup for the first time in 2008 that people started calling for me to come back um which was good timing because it led led into yeah. the confed cup and the world cup but i missed out a large part in in during my time in russia which was disappointing um from a Cultural point of view, you know, football's football's always been quite um, representative uh, demographic demographically, yeah. And a lot of people refer back to the World Cup as to me being the only white guy in the team. But in actual fact, that, it just so happened that that was the case during that time. Uh, we've always been quite representative, and if you look at the local PSL or our national team, you know, it still is. Um, so it's a bit of a pity that that whole, you know, a lot of journalists still ask me about and then refer to color, color, color. Mm. Um, but I understand historically why particularly the foreign journalists would do that. Um, you know, they, they were fascinated about that, about that aspect and about our, our history as a country. Yeah. Uh, but from a football point of view, it's never really been an issue for, issue for us. Um, even way back in 69, um, you know, 72, they attempted a multiracial league during, during the dark days of apartheid. So, um, we've we've n never really been affected by the whole culture sort of race race issue. Mm. It is the it is the people's game. I mean, yeah, yeah. I I I think I watched a thing with you with the I think it was a, an overseas journalist called you the White Knight. Uh, and I know you. <laughs> yeah, it's journos, huh? Journos. Um, yeah, it was cheap. It was cheesy. Um, yeah, I think the. It was quite a. It was quite a well. It was quite a, a reputable newspaper who did the original interview. But what happens in in England is that uh, of, often their sister public publications will 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 steal the the article so okay. and put up a different headline. So it was a, basically the same article, but I think it was from the Sun that put up this very cheesy um, tabloidy type uh, headline, which was uh, yeah. A little bit embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you obviously mentioned you, you moved over to Russia. How did that move come about? Like, was it a, an offer, an agent thing? How did the, the Russian move come? Yeah, so I was still at Sundowns. I'd been on a couple of trials already. Um, 
overseas, uh, either I had impressed, um, for example, at West Ham, I impressed Harry Redknapp. They wanted to do the deal. Unfortunately, my club asked for too much money at the time. It would fall, fall through. Uh, or I would have a very bad week uh, on trial and they were not interested. So they, it came to a stage in my career where I was 27, 28, and I realized that um, to maximize my earnings, I better start earning dollars or euros. Mm. And um, my coach at the time was a guy called Viktor Bandarenko, who came from uh, Russia. Originally, he was born in, in Rostov. Uh, and Rostov at the time was uh, struggling in the relegation zone. And he did a deal to send myself and give Kampamba to Rostov. Um, and it was purely, I knew nothing about the league. I knew even little about, even even less about the country yeah. um, itself. And I decided to go. So at the time, it was quite mercenary of me, um, the way I was thinking, but it actually turned out to be a hell of an education for me. Um, my game uh, improved. I played against better players. I was coached, against, uh, coached by better coaches. And the Russian league at that time very similar to the MLS, were starting to spend a lot of their uh, petrodollars uh, on the league, trying to improve the, the status of the league. So it was a good time to run. Yeah. And then how do you like compare Rush, the Russian league to South African domestic, domestic league? Yeah, so it's, it's very difficult to compare leagues per se. I mm -hmm. think, uh, you know, even within the Russian league, there were, there were ball-playing teams, there were more direct teams, there were, there were teams that were mixed, mixed. Um, there were teams that had a large um, quota of, of South Americans, for example. Um, so it was difficult to say, really, but definitely uh, what, what struck me uh, in Europe is that players in Europe... Um, First of all, from a young age, get a better diet, they get coached better, and therefore the ability to take instruction and to process the instruction uh, is a lot uh, better than ours. And therefore, uh, when they're on the park, they seem like they have so much more time. And not only that, is that they know what to do with the ball uh, before they even get it. Um, whereas we have a tendency to to have incredible technique and to natural ability, but it's like a split second. We take a split second longer to determine what to do with the ball, and that split second uh, in, in football is actually a hell of a long time. Yeah. Um, so that that that's what stood out for me. Yeah. So Matthew, sorry, just going back to your your trial at West Ham, and and obviously Harry Redknapp was interested. Was so the club asked for too much money. Did that affect your performances for the club in any way? Was it like, oh, I could have gone to West Ham, you know, like moved over to Europe? Um, yeah, I think. I mean, certainly, if I put myself in that position, it would maybe not affect the the performance, but maybe morale. Yeah, it, um, in, in hindsight, looking back now, now that I've retired, I, I sometimes become more and more angry about it or disappointed about what transpired. But at the time, I remember, you know, again, it's very similar to my World Cup disappointment. Um, 
you kind of just push on, you know, and some of the best athletes um, don't have very good imaginations. You know, they don't, they don't overthink things, you know, um, you, you, you've got to let go of your disappointments, learn from them. Yes, but let go of them as soon as possible. Um, and that I was pretty good at that. Um, I was not, I don't, I'm not a very emotional guy um, off the field. Yeah. Um, and, and I set targets and I'd already uh, fixated myself on, on the next target, the next objective, you know, yeah. but yeah, certainly that was probably my best opportunity to play in the EPL. Um, and I would have loved to have played in a more established uh, league like in La Liga or, or the EPL. Yeah. Mm. So on the flip side of that, you know, you say that you're not, you're not a very emotional guy. So it, it's like onto the next job, onto the next job. Did you find in your career now, looking back, you know, damn, like I should have celebrated that a bit more, like enjoyed that moment a little bit more, not gone, okay, cool, next job. Um, yeah, you know, you're right. On the, on the flip side, I, I probably didn't celebrate as, as much as I, I should have. But having said that, um, I learned from a young age that um, being in a, in a team sport, um, you can't get too arrogant. You can't afford to get too arrogant. Otherwise, the, the football gods are going to give you a, a swift <laughs> kick in the balls, you know, and, Humble and, you. and bring, you back, yeah, bring you back down to earth. Okay. Um, so I always encourage youngsters to be, to be quietly, you know, self-confident, but publicly um, uh, humble and, and down yeah, to yeah. earth. Um, you know, if, you, if you're going to do an elite sport, if you're going to be a swimmer or a golfer or a tennis player, then that arrogance has to exude, you know, um, to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. uh, but in a team sport, you, you can't really afford to. Yeah. yeah. In Russia, uh, did you ever experience, like, some pretty weird experiences, like, while playing? I know they, it's quite a, like, when, when you, I've spoken to quite a few rugby players, uh, and they've said, like, in France, you know, you, you come from South Africa where, like, the guys bry on Hrutuskid at Newlands and then they'll duck and if they see you, they'll say, how's it? But in France, you go to the restaurant, you lose on the weekend, then you're not going to eat there. You'll go to McDonald's or something. <laughs> Did you ever, ever have some pretty weird experiences? Um, yeah, look, uh, there, there were many weird experiences, but um, none that I can really repeat on this platform. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're gonna have to have, we're I gonna mean, have to have beers then we're gonna have to have a couple beers and chat about it then <laughs> but yeah i mean just the 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 general culture i mean the, the superstitions um and the way of life in russia uh there were definitely two generations you know one one was very old and stoic and uh sort of ex-communist types um who needed a bit of a a, a couple of shots of vodka to to loosen up <laughs> <laughs> and then you had your sort of hip-hop MTV generation who were a lot younger. Uh, that definitely struck me. Um, and, and within the footballing culture, the guys um, uh, love uh, the Russian uh, sauna. Uh, that, that was the, the, probably the biggest tradition where we would go out as a team to a typical Russian sauna, a wooden Russian sauna. Mm. Um, and... You sit in there, uh, you then go out uh, into the snow, you rub yourself with snow to cool down, 
um, get back inside, go into the sauna again, come out, um, have some beers and uh, <laughs> like uh, small crayfish, you know, yeah, um, and just talk talk nonsense, you know, talk about the game or talk about life, yeah, and. That, that was that was interesting for me because that was obviously completely different to what I've experienced here in uh, South Africa. Yeah. And anybody going overseas, whether you of a professional nature or not, do yourself a favor and try to learn the language. Try try to ingratiate yourself with with the locals, um, appreciate their customs, um, because it definitely helped me in that regard. When when the going got tough. You know, you you knew that they they were on your side. You know, yeah. Uh, they weren't going to go against you just because you were a foreigner taking their money. <laughs> um, so that's that's something that, that I learned uh, early on, and I was grateful that I that I that I did that. Yeah. So are you can you speak uh, Russian? Da конечно, у тебя. Yeah, like like fluent, like you are you fluent? Um, so when I left. When I, the first two years that I spent in Russia, I had a translator, which was a mistake. So I didn't learn much. Then I, I decided I've definitely got to crack on <laughs> and learn this language. Um, so for the next four years, I became uh, fluent. Uh, 2008, when I left, I was fluent. Wow. But, but when you, you lose it very easily, you know, yeah. there's, very, there's not a large Russian community here in South Africa. And um, so it's difficult to, to keep up with it. But I, I think I would be able to pick it up easy, easily. Uh, yeah. Again, but yeah, I enjoy I enjoy talking it. Uh, I enjoy listening to uh, some of the Russian channels, and you know, just keeping my ear to the ground with what's going on there as well. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I'd love to learn another language actually, but like not not off records. Like one of the like one of the cool ones in like Europe or something. <laughs> um, yeah, well, if, you ever, if you ever go to Moscow, just go by yourself. Don't take your missus with you. Okay, well, that that's another conversation we're going to have over beers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, let's move on to the q and I'm conscious of your time. It's been like 40-odd minutes, so let's uh, let's just go through the Q&A. Um, did you ever play in the Champions League? Uh, no, unfortunately not. But I did get a couple of uh, Europa games under the belt. Yeah. Okay. What, what has been your favorite uh, country to play against? Um, funny enough, Brazil. I've always had good games against Brazil. Okay, sure. Uh, and as a pro footballer, how often do you tra- or how, how often did you train a week uh, as a team and then as an individual? Yeah. So um, during the the preseason, uh, we would we would train sometimes three times a day, a gym session, morning field session, and then a, a, a friendly game. Um, uh, during the season um, only once a day Um, and if we played on a Saturday we would most likely get Sunday off Uh, or sorry uh, Sunday would be a light uh, training session or um, to get rid of all the lactic acid Monday would be off and then we would train uh, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday Friday leading up to to the Saturday game so um, but but these days, you know, some of the teams, you know, most of the teams are playing Wednesday weekend, Wednesday weekend. So yeah, it becomes a little bit more complicated for the coaches these days. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever play like over festive seasons? So like missed Christmas, missed New Year's? So no, I was quite fortunate in South Africa. Um, they normally gave us uh, two, 
one and a half, two weeks off um, so that we could be with uh, our families during Christmas and New Year. Okay. Uh, we would often we would we would often play up until a couple of days before Christmas, and then when I was in Russia, um, the Russian season went from March until November. Okay. Uh, I got I got half I got half of November and the whole of December off. I came back to South Africa. Sure. Um, and then January and February we went on preseason training to, you know, Spain, Cyprus, um, uh, Turkey, and the UAE were quite popular because in Russia it was too cold to train. Um, <clears throat> and then our season started again in March. So I was always back home for the festive season, which was great. Too. Sure, that's awesome. Would you ever? So, would you encourage guys who can get South African guys who can get over just to go and experience going to uh, preseason in Spain uh, in the UAE? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a, as a as a South African club, it's quite expensive to do. But yeah. if you if you're an individual, um, you know, if you're a professional uh, footballer and you get an opportunity to join a club in in Europe. Uh, I would encourage it. You know, a lot of the guys are are in a comfort zone here in South Africa because you can earn as much as 350k a month uh, sure. at some of the big teams. It's quite a wide range. You know, that you get some youngsters coming into the first team, you know, earning a, a couple of thousand rands. So it is quite a wide range. But um, the, the guys are in a comfort zone here. Our league uh, just last year turned over a billion rand in, in, in revenue. Wow. Um, yeah, so the the problem is getting them out of here and 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 getting them to leagues where they're playing uh, at a better level. Yeah, uh, and we've we've just recently had a raft of players do that, which is good, and it will be good for our national team. Mm. Uh, but just from an education point of view, learning a new culture, learning a new language, you know, uh, being injured in a foreign land, going back to your apartment when all your friends or family are on a different continent, you know, it builds character. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what we need most of is, is good footballing characters, good, good all round products. Yeah. Mm. Matthew, thanks so much for joining me. And I was actually telling my, my family before I was, I was really nervous because when I was watching you, not to give your age away, but I would have been six, seven, eight. And I was, I, I remember watching you going like, this guy's my hero. And now to chat to you has just been so awesome. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No, not a problem, Marie. Always a pleasure. And uh, next time I see you, I've got to sort you out with a Bafana shirt. Uh, that's that's sure. not right. That's the thing. It's wrong. Actually, I'm going to go buy one now. I'm going to go. <laughs>